Well, we have had a great morning thus far. Just, it is a blessing to be in God's house with you, and it's a privilege to stand before you and to open the Word of God and look at it together. This morning we are going to be looking uh, from the ninth chapter of the book of Job. And as you're turning there, I want to ask uh, some questions and see what... Uh, if you can give me some answers to these. Uh, and this first one I should have had up, but um, I, I didn't. But the word, like an odor, like uh, when you have a perfume, it's a scent, right? And that's spelled S-C-E-N-T. So here's a question. Is the S or the C silent in the word scent? Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, do you think sand is called sand because it's between the sea and the land? Why do we drive on parkways but park in driveways. Are these questions that keep you up at night? <laughs> well, questions like that are fun to think about, and, and there's probably a few of you that just don't even have a clue what just took place, and that's all right, too. But there are important questions in life. And as I've stated, as we're, we're going through this survey, the book of Job, there are several questions that Job asks or his friends ask that are vitally more important than those silly ones I just asked us. Some people do on, on occasion, and, and this happens a lot during pain and suffering, times of trials. We're not, we're not wondering about driving on parkways and parking in driveways. We're, we're more focused on the big things of life. Why, why am I here? What, is, is there a purpose to life? Am I fulfilling my purpose? Is what I do, my actions, do they matter? Does, does it matter if I'm even here? Those are the, some of the questions that when you get down to the realities of life is or are more important and this particular question that Job is going to ask us and we're going to see it in the ninth chapter is how can a man be blameless how can a man be righteous before God. Now what's happened before we get to the ninth chapter, we're going to read the first 14 verses here in a minute. This is still the first round of the questioning. Friend Bildad has just been up and he's thrown out some stuff at Job in chapter 8. And basically what he's told Job in chapter 8, if you look at 8, 4, 
Bildad is basically telling him your ten kids died because uh, they've sinned against God. And they've just got what they deserved. And then in verses 13 and 14, Bildad is basically saying, and Job, you're in this category, he says, uh, you know, the hope of the godless, it's like leaning against a spider's web. There's nothing there. And he said, Job, that, that's where you're at. And then at the end of his little um, discussion in chapter 8, Bildad does say this in verse 20, Behold, God will not reject a blameless man. So what Bildad is actually saying, Job, you need to get your right life right before God. You need to be blameless and you're going to be okay. So that is the question. And it's an excellent question. And it's one I think a lot of people are asking today. Some are, some are not. But if you've never considered this question, we're going to look at it this morning and we're going to see what Scripture has to tell us. So if you're there in the ninth chapter of Job, I encourage you, if you're able and willing, to stand and honor the reading of the Word of God. And then, as I said, we're going to read the first 14 verses together. Beginning in verse 1, Then Job answered and said, Truly, I know that it is so. But how can a man be in the right before God? If one wished to contend with him, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and succeeded? He who removes mountains and they know it not, when he overturns him in his anger, who shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble, who commands the sun and it does not rise, who seals up the stars, who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea, who made the bear and Orion and Pleiades and the chambers of the south, who does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number. Behold, he passes me by and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Behold, he snatches away. Who can turn him back? Who will say to him, what are you doing? God will not turn back his anger. Beneath him bowed the helpers of Rahab. How then can I answer him, choosing my words with him? Father, we ask a blessing upon this reading of your word and ask now that you would give your wisdom to our hearts that we might be able to answer this question. We ask and pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated in the chapters 9 and 10 of the book of Job. We're, this is Job at his lowest point. Job is, is going to just get right up against what Satan said he would do. He's getting right up against cursing God. He's, he's in a low point. He's, he's struggling. And he's got these friends, these comforters that have come to him, and they're not helping. They're making things worse. So he's dealing with all this, and in these two chapters, Job is at his lowest point. Now, we're mainly going to be looking at chapter 9 this morning, 
But some of the comments he makes in chapter 10, if you, if you want to go ahead and read that, you're going to see a man right at the bottom. But he's trying to answer this question because he's agreeing with Bildad. Bildad, like I said, in, in chapter 8, verse 20, Bildad says, Behold, God will not reject a blameless man. That is true. Some of what the comforters say they got their own mixed-up theology, but that's a true statement. And Job knows it's a true statement. He says in verse 2, Truly, I know that is so. Then he says, But how can I get there? And we're going to see different ways. Job has evidently thought about trying, and I think these are some ways that people still try today first way and we see this in in verses 3 through 12 some people just try to push their way past God's standards and basically say God you're going to accept me anyway verse 3 Job is basically and if one wished to contend with him one could not get an answer once in a thousand times but see he's he's even then Job's once in a thousand times those are those are pretty slim odds. But Job's saying, I've got a chance. What's Job's reality? Zero. He has no chance. Why? Look at, look at who's he, who are we dealing with? God is mighty in strength. And Job even asked the question, who's ever went up against God and succeeded? And it's a rhetorical question, but the answer is nobody. Why not? Well, he's... God's a creator. Apart from Genesis, the book of Job has the greatest amount of material about God's creative power in the whole of the Bible. It's a great book to read. Like I said, we're just doing a survey here on Sunday mornings, but I, I encourage you to read about or read through the book of Job. But he, he, Job goes on, he talks about God's moving mountains, and they don't even know it. He commands the sun. He seals up the stars. He's the one that by himself stretched out the, the heavens. He made the bear and Orion, Pleiades, and the chambers of the sun. They're talking about the constellations in the sky. He does great things beyond searching out and marvelous things beyond number. This is the God that he was thinking about going up against. And it's amazing the, the, the power here. Now, this is God's created power. And people still go up against it. And do we not see this in life? There are forces that are more powerful than we are and a lot of times we just think we're going to overcome them and we're just going to go past them and sometimes it takes an impressive display of power to finally stop somebody think about the japanese at the end of world war ii they were going to keep fighting and there were projected losses of american servicemen and about a million lives that were going to be it was going to cost to take the islands. And then, in our human technology, we came up 
with the atomic bomb and they dropped one bomb Japan and it, it wiped out close to 100,000 people as I recall they weren't dropped another one Hiroshima and Nagasaki those places in Japan were pretty much wiped out and the Japanese surrendered in the face of that impressive power that's just limited power God has much more than that but see here's the thing about us as people we know what we're capable of doing as humans and we think we can do whatever we want need to win a war we'll build a bigger bomb Go to the moon? That's not a problem. We'll, we'll develop the technology. We'll go to the moon. And we'll bring people back. Need to take care of a disease? We'll, we'll, we'll create a vaccine. We'll, hey, need a new heart? We'll develop the technology for it. And sometimes that we can do whatever we want to do attitude some people translate that into becoming acceptable to God. Just because we're humans. Just because we're Americans. I'm, uh, this is an American church. We're all Americans. And sometimes the pride of what we have accomplished in the world, we translate that foolishly into thinking that we're just going to do the same thing with God. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Humility. Would you say that humility is a valued trait in America in the 21st century? I don't think so. I think we've got a pride problem. Human pride. Psalms 115 verse 3 says, Our God sits in the heavens and he does as he pleases. We're not going to power past God. And as I recall reading Matthew 5 in the Beatitudes, and you might know the answer to this, but who, what type of people are going to inherit the earth? The proud? The meek. The meek. No one is going to power past God. Job realizes that. So then he goes to this other avenue, and he's getting closer to the truth here, but he doesn't quite get it, and this is a lot of us. We, we, we get close, but then we stop. Some try to get mercy from God, but without admitting fault. Look at verses 14 and 15 of Job chapter 9. How then can I answer him, choosing my words with him? Though I am in the right, I cannot answer him. I must appeal for mercy to my accuser. accuser. Now, Job, if you recall from chapter 1 and chapter 2, which we went over, 
Job hadn't done anything wrong. He's hanging on to his integrity. And we've talked about this is steadfast in the pursuit of God. That's, that's this whole series. And he holds on to his righteousness, his integrity before God. He hasn't done anything wrong. And that's true, he hasn't. But Job here is talking courtroom talk. He's saying, I am in the right. But he's saying, God is his accuser. He's not talking about the Satan here. He's talking about God. And so Job's got some things wrong. And he says, I must appeal for mercy. He knows he can't get it on his own. He knows he needs the mercy of God. But he refuses to give up his righteousness. Now, yes, Job didn't do anything to bring on this attack. But there was still sin in Job's life. No one is completely righteous before a holy God. But he's looking for mercy. But do you think that without admitting fault, we are going to receive the mercy of God? No. This is a... And you may have heard it. I think I've shared this poem before it's been several several years but i thought it it fit with this idea of of someone not even thinking that they need to come this way before god the title of this poem is invictus and the author is william ernest hensley henley henley excuse me i think he wrote this in 1903 i want you to hear this especially the last there's only there's only four it's a short poem out of the night that covers me black as a pit from pole to pole I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul in the fell clutch of circumstance I have not winced nor cried aloud under the bludgeonings of chance my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. Now this is the last stanza. and He's going to use some biblical language here from Jesus in Matthew 7, Sermon on the Mount. But this, these are the words, and, and I think a lot of us have this idea. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Jesus says, straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. This guy is saying, it doesn't matter how straight the gate. doesn't matter the sins counted against me. I am going to do whatever I will because I'm the captain of my own soul. This guy is not even acknowledging his need for mercy. It, it's amazing the pride. And Job is guilty of pride right here. He's, he's trying to 
he's so caught up in, in, in lawyering for himself that he is righteous, that he's willing to make God guilty to maintain his righteousness. Regardless of, of how smart we are, how elitist we, we choose to be, we are not in the right and we cannot fix ourselves. We do need the mercy of God. And we need to remember what James said in the New Testament in chapter 4, verse 6. God opposes the proud. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Some of us, there's pride there. between, And that's what's standing in the way of us in a relationship with Jesus. I don't want to admit my fault. I don't want to have to repent of whatever it is. So I'm just, in my pride, I'm going to hang on to that. And I'm, it, it's not about coming before this assembly or any assembly. You're, you're not giving your answer to me. You're not accountable to me. Each of us is accountable to God. What happens here is just once you've been honest with God and you've repented, then you're willing to share that and say, I belong to him and I'm not ashamed of anybody knowing it. But it's, it's not about confessing your sins. Don't come confess your sins to me. Talk to God about that. But be willing, know that you need his mercy, but it comes through repentance of sin. And pride, don't let pride stand between you in a relationship with God. And then Job after that, and this, ah, oh man, I think this is one where a lot of us, and when I say us, I'm not talking about necessarily the people in this room. I'm talking about the people we know. Because you might be sitting here thinking, I know Jesus. I have a relationship with Christ. Okay, then use this to... Talk to some of your friends who might be being described right here. And understand how you can help them and be a better comforter than Bildad was. But this next one, uh, some just vent and complain and talk about how unfair God is. And that's basically what Job does in 16 through 24. He, he just goes on and on. He said, you know, verse 18, he won't even let me get my breath. He fills me with bitterness. Uh, verse 20, though I'm in the right, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I am blameless, he would prove me perverse. And I get to go down here. Uh, Job gets to the point, verse 22, it's all one. Therefore, I say, he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. He's basically saying, it doesn't matter. I've done this. I've, I've lived a good life. I, I've, I've been faithful to my wife. He talks about that in chapter 30. He talks about, we, we read in, in chapters 1 and 2, about how he was even sacrificing and praying for his children. And 
now he's, he's at the point where he's forgotten all that, and he's saying, you know, it doesn't really matter what I do. I've lived this life, and look at me. I'm, I'm suffering. I'm sitting on an ash pit. I'm scraping off my body with a dang broken piece of clay. I mean, what am I doing here? What's the point? And some people, we've talked about pain and suffering. We've been talking about that in, in this book. And a lot of people, when they get there, they get so closed in on their own circumstances, they just think, what's the point? Does it even matter? Does what I do matter? Does God even care? And that's, that's where Job's at. It's just unfair. You know, you, you live a good life, bam. The wicked, they're out here, they're, li- they're okay. What's the point? Job feels like he's in a lose-lose situation. Yeah, he thinks there's nothing he can do to win. And you know, the only thing I can think of sometimes is in the medical situations where you have a person that has different things wrong with them, different conditions. And if you if the doctors try to fix this, well there's a good chance that that's going to make this other thing worse and they're going to die. So if they try to fix this, well, it's going to make this worse and they'll probably die anyway. So what do you do? It's like a lose-lose. It doesn't matter what you do. The chances are not looking good. So what's the point? And we can get there. And some of our friends may be there. And if it's not at the point of life and death, there's still those situations where you think it's just, it's just, it's just bad. And, you know, sometimes we exaggerate things in our mind. But when you're there and you're having that pity party, and, 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 and I, I, I thought about, is that even fair? I haven't gone through what Job's gone through. I haven't gone through what a lot of you are going through. Is it fair to even call it that? But sometimes when we reflect on our own issues, we just make things worse. And it's hard to break that cycle. And so those thoughts bring us to this last point that Job realizes. Even with the best effort, we're still in the pit. Verse 29 through 31, Job says, I shall be condemned. Why then do I labor in vain? If I wash myself with snow and clean my hands with lye, yet you will plunge me into a pit and my own clothes will abhor me. And Job's talking to God right there. You, that's you. Yet you will plunge me into a pit. Job's saying, you know, my best efforts, they don't measure up. And there's a lot of people that are out there doing their best efforts, but they think they're going to measure up. There's people that live by the golden rule. They do unto others. They treat people right. They, they, they come to church. They give money to the church. They, they volunteer their time, their their don't break the law, they're good citizens, whatever else. 
a lot of people try this approach. They, they, they miss Job's last thoughts. They think that if they clean themselves up, they will be okay. Job realizes, no, doesn't matter my best efforts, and I'm still in the pit. See, some of us, we have this idea, we think of the justice of God like a set of scales. And that's not a bad way to think of it. You know, uh, the scales with the, the trays, they're on the balance. And if you put more weight in this tray, it'll tilt that way. And here's what we do. The scales is not a bad idea, but we, we're, we've got the wrong things in the scales. See, we're looking at our own life. And we know, we know when we do things that aren't right. We know when we do things that that are bad in the eyes of society. We understand that. It's not good to lie. It's not good to cheat. It's not. So we look at the good in our own life and the bad in our life. And we're just looking at us. And we're thinking, as long as the good in my life outweighs the bad, I'm okay. How it actually is in God's scales, it's not about us personally, it's about God's perfect standard of holiness that is like... And whatever we do are good, it doesn't move the scales at all. Because God's holiness and his perfection is so heavy that nothing we do can tilt the scales in our favor. Nothing. Isaiah 64, 6. Our best efforts are as filthy rags in his sight. That's how to look at the scales. And Job realizes that, and that brings us to the last point. After realizing his hopeless situation, Job does understand there's a need for someone else. He understands that he needs an advocate. Look at verses 32 and 33. For he is not a man as I am that I might answer him that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter or arbitrator between us who might lay his hand on us both. Now Job's looking for legal help. He's looking for legal counsel here. He doesn't have the idea of the Messiah. That's not a fully developed doctrine in this Old Testament book. But he understands that God is so holy that he cannot come before him and plead his own case, that he needs someone else. And that points us to Jesus. Because in the progressive revelation of God, we do have the Messiah. We do understand who the advocate is. Job, that was just a shadowy idea to him. But we find out in the incarnation that it's the God-man. Now, our 
if you want to look at a basic summary statement of our sin is um, our hearts are continually set on evil jeremiah seventeen nine, i share that verse several times but that is the heart the heart of man is deceitful deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it we don't even know our own heart and then romans 3 10 through 12 it says there's none that are righteous there's none that seek god see we're sinners and we we don't even on our own come to him but the solution to that problem is that we didn't have to because he came for us luke 19 10 tells us that jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. God's solution to our sin problem is Jesus. 1 John chapter 2, 1, we have a full definition of this one who is our advocate. And in John, 1 John chapter uh, 2, 2 verse 1, that's at the end of the New Testament. I thought I had this one marked. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And then verse 2 says, He is the propitiation for our sins. That means that He is the perfect sacrifice. He appeased the wrath of God against sin on our behalf. And when Jesus comes to us, when He comes to seek, and when He comes through His Holy Spirit and He convicts a person of His or her unrighteousness and their need for this advocate, for Him, and when that person turns to Him in faith, that and only that is how we can become blameless before the presence of a holy God. But he has made it possible. So we're here this morning. And it is possible in this sanctuary that there are some that are considering that it's just going to work out. It's going to be okay. I've been a good person. On the authority of the Word of God, I'm here to tell you that it's not going to work out for you. Apart from Christ, we are lost and condemned. Oh, but Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, is here this morning. And if you haven't yet surrendered your life to him if he's knocking if he's the holy spirit is convicting you of the sin and your need for the savior i pray today that this will be the time you surrender your life if you're a believer if you're a believer and many of us are i know that praise god for that that we can we can share this message of hope there's so many that in there and their pain and their situations that they're, they're just saying that God is unfair 
If, if there was a God of love, why would this happen to me? Why would I suffer? Like, what's the point? And while we can't give them answers, I can't explain every particular suffering. We can point them to a God who, no, he's not fair. <laughs> if you've ever thought that God was fair, get rid of that. Life's not fair. God is just. But if he was fair, what would our destiny be? Hell. I don't know about you, but I don't want fair. I want grace. I want grace. And he gives it because he's a God of grace. So as Mark and our musicians come, this is our invitation time. If you're still outside his grace, oh, please surrender your life to him today. And if you are the believer, we, we just need to pray because there's people we know that are, that are still stuck. They're trying to become blameless in and of themselves. And we need and we can, we have the privilege of pointing them to Jesus. Oh, what a privilege. But oh, how we need a burden. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truths that are there. Because so many times we think on our own because of our fallen natures. And we think we're smarter than you are. Oh, we're not. We're not. We're not stronger. We're not smarter. We're not capable. But God, the good news is you know that. That's why you sent Jesus. God, help us to just rejoice in that, to be encouraged in that, to remember that we don't have to do this on our own. And Father, just help us to be light in the darkness and shining the light of grace, your grace. God, just telling people about Jesus. Lord God, this is your time. You have your way in and through us. We ask and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'd like to ask you to please stand and turn to page 640. Sweet hour prayer.
for being here this morning. I encourage you to be back with us tonight at uh, 6 o'clock for our service. Be finishing up the last message in the Prepared to Share series in Acts. But uh, remember to pray for our New York mission trip. Yeah, they'll be back Saturday. Is that right? Okay, all right. I, Let's, uh, let's do that right now as we are closing, and uh, I'll, I'll lead us in that, and that is something, our, our chair, if you've never noticed it, it's up here, it's to remind us of those who aren't with us physically because they are serving for us, and sometimes because it's been there and we kind of just get comfortable with it, we don't even think about it, but we do need to be mindful of those who are serving and the the burdens that their families face uh, while they're away. So as we're being dismissed, I will pray for that. Father God, it is good to be in your house as we are preparing to be dismissed. Remind us, each one, that we are departing to serve. Father, when we leave this place, when we leave this house that is called by your name and going back out into the world, we have opportunities to be a witness. And God, in our hearts, let us be prepared and ready to share a good word about Jesus and to be good witnesses with our life. Father, we also want to pray for our military. Uh, we do have uh, men and women serving this country that are in various places around the world, uh, somewhere we don't even know. And, Lord, we just ask that they would be able to discharge their duties in a way that would honor you and, God, that would reflect well upon our country. We pray for their families, for the spouses and children that are doing life without one of their parents in the mix for a while. So you watch over them. God, surround them with support. And, Father, help their hearts be encouraged through the prayers of your people and help us to be mindful of that and to pray for them on a regular basis. Now, God, we just want to celebrate your love that you have for us in Christ. I want to say thank you for doing something that we cannot do, that in Christ we are blameless before your presence. Oh, what what joy that should bring to the heart of the believer. God just now dismisses in your peace that we might serve you. And we pray and ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.